Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name's Jamila Risby and today my co-host Astrid Edwards and I will be interviewing Kate Ellis. Kate is a former MP and minister who in her first book, Sex, Lies and Question Time, has explored the good, the bad and the very, very ugly of life as a woman in Australian politics. She also happens to be my former boss. So I watched a lot of this stuff up close and I can tell you it wasn't very pleasant. Alongside her own experiences from 15 years in parliament, Kate reveals a frank and fascinating picture of women across Australian politics. She speaks to Julia Gillard, Julie Bishop, Linda Burney, Susan Lay, Penny Wong, Sarah Hansen-Young, and yes, she speaks to Pauline Hanson. Kate covers everything from sexism to motherhood to appearance and social media, and of course, sex. She also celebrates everything Australian women politicians have achieved. Welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman and congratulations on Sex, Lies and Question Time. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be with you both. We are very thrilled to have you. First thing I've got to ask is after a long career in Parliament and finally being free, why did you want to go and write about it and have to think about it all over again? Well, that's a good question. I wish you'd asked me that maybe 18 months ago. I was really surprised actually when I got out that there was this genuine interest from people in what it's like to be a woman in politics. And I was I was surprised about the level of that. And I guess also once I re-entered real life, I had enough distance to have a bit of reflection on some of the things which I'd encountered or which women encounter regularly in Parliament and how that compares to the rest of our society. And I thought that was an important point that we should... A, discuss, but B, try to change. Kate, I I think loved is the wrong word. I greatly benefited and enjoyed reading your book. I am a person who doesn't know much about parliament. Politics hasn't been in my career or my background. And I just didn't realise that parliament and politics was just like all the places that I had worked maybe even worse, given the the media attention that comes with it. I didn't know. Hmm. Is that something that you are getting a lot of from people like me? I think, to be really honest with you, I don't think I knew. I don't think I knew when I was there. I just thought this is the way the world works and this is how it is for women. And it wasn't until I left and got involved with some other organisations and with some other industries that I saw that, in my view, I think Parliament is behind. I think it's worse where a lot of the private sector is in terms of respect for women. And I guess 
you know, you saying that you don't have a background in politics or a great love for all things political. What I realised was it matters beyond women in politics. It actually matters when every decision that's being made in that environment affects us all, when every decision about what's important, about what should be funded, about what programs should be expanded is made in an atmosphere where women are generally disrespected, then I think that's a big problem. Can you tell us about how you came to be elected to the parliament and what your expectations were going in? (laughs) So I was 26 when I was pre-selected to run for the seat of Adelaide and it was a seat that had been held by the other side of politics for over a decade. It was a marginal seat and it was the election when Mark Latham was the leader. So I think realistically nobody probably thought that I was going to win And even myself, I think my motivation at that time was if I won the seat, I could help change the government and therefore change the country. So I was kind of thinking about it in terms of doing my little bit to get the numbers to form government. I don't think I ever really stopped and thought about what that means for me in terms of the job that I would be doing each and every day. So I didn't really have set expectations about that. But what I did find was that when I was elected, it was made really clear to me on a daily, if not hourly basis, that it was unusual for someone like me to be in the parliament. It was constantly reinforced that I was different. And I thought that was just because I was a young woman in the parliament. But what I later realised is that every woman, so for the book, I spoke to 16 different women from across politics and every single woman had a story to tell about how they felt that they'd been treated differently than their male colleagues. So I guess I wasn't the exception to the rule after all. You do speak to many women, all different sides of politics, women who you would have had violent intellectual disagreements with on political and policy matters, but also they have a very similar experience to you as a woman in parliament. This week, Jam and I are kind of talking about today, the idea of what is happening now, and your book is incredibly timely. You are publishing at a time when more than half the population of Australia, I think, is thinking about the role of women and what women are afforded in Australian society. I have a question about you today. How did that experience and the experience of writing this book and putting it out there affect you and even your confidence as a woman? Hmm. I think that it was interesting because at the time when you're in parliament, when you've got a community to represent, when you might have a portfolio that you're in charge of, you just kind of roll with the punches and get on with what you need to do. And it wasn't really until I sat and started researching this book that I guess some of it actually affected me. Before that, I really had had effectively put up a wall and just just moved on. But it was going back now when I started looking at some newspaper articles or some commentary, and I guess the punches landed a bit more now than they had beforehand. And I would just say I think that I'm much stauncher in my views about women and women's treatment in Australia now than I probably ever have been before. So yeah, it was interesting that maybe I'm not as big and tough as I thought I was all along because there was a stage when I was writing this book 
when I didn't want to just focus on the negative and on the, the bad things that happened to women, but I felt like I was drowning in it for a while. Like I was just like, I just want to get through so I can get to the positive bit because it was just, you know, day after day sitting, focusing on really unfair things that have happened, not just to me, but to other women. I found it, I don't know if depressing is the right word, but I just found it was really dark that that's what I was focusing on for weeks and weeks. And I was so delighted when I got to get to the positive bits and get to the, you know, amazing things that women have done and the changes that they've brought about. It was like the sun coming out and I loved it. Can we talk about those positives for a second? Because one of the things that I always notice about you, about Julia Gillard, Nicola Roxon, a lot of senior women who've since left the parliament who, let's face it, all copped their degree of sexism and awful treatment. You all still say, I wouldn't take it back. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. And you encourage other women to go into the parliament. Mm. And I think from the vantage point of women outside the parliament, there's a sense for all of us of like, Really? (laughs) So so I know you believe that with everything you've got. So tell us why. What are the positives? What are the benefits? What would you say to a young woman thinking about a parliamentary career? I just think that if you want to make a difference, there's no more effective way to change more people's lives than the federal parliament. You know, we have the capacity. What an amazing privilege is it that we have a capacity where the work that you do can change what happens in every school across Australia or in every doctor's surgery or in every childcare centre, that is an amazing privilege. So I think in terms of rewarding work, I don't know how you top that. I just think in terms of helping people and what you get back from doing that, that's incredibly powerful. And I have known since the moment I made the decision to leave that I will, no matter what I do in my life, I will never have a job that is more rewarding or more challenging or more inspiring than I had when I was a member of parliament. So I guess for me, one of the really tricky things was I want more women to go into parliament, but I also want it to be better for them. So how do you shine a light on the things that need to change, but try and do it in a way that doesn't turn women off going in completely? And That's a balancing act that I I don't know if I or if anyone's got right. But, I mean, I do think it's absolutely worth it. But I also think that people should go in with their eyes open and hopefully get a chance to learn from the experiences that me or my female colleagues have had before them. It can be better and it can be easier. I do hope that I live to see that day, Kate. You just said balancing act. How does a really high achieving individual, a woman who is going into parliament, brace themselves for that kind of impact, brace themselves for that kind of very public, unfair scrutiny, regardless of what side of politics they're in, and balance it with, it's a really high powered job and not everybody gets every single decision right. And there will be some very valid criticism and debate and disagreements. What kind of internal balancing act can be done there? Yeah, I think it's really hard because in politics, no matter who you are, there's at least 40% of the population who dislike you and what you stand for before you even open your mouth. And some of them are more staunch than others. Like you will get criticism, you will get abuse. So I think there's two things. I think 
One is you have to know where you get your confidence from because if you get your confidence from other people's feedback, from positive media commentary, then you're setting yourself up for a fall because there'll be negative feedback and there will be brutal media feedback as well. So I guess if you take the positive to heart, you're going to take the negative to heart as well. So I think you need to work out where it is you get your confidence from, whether it's your background of achievements, whether it's your family and friends. I think it's really important to know what's that boost when it's starting to hit you. And I think the other thing to stay focused on is to know what's your purpose that you're trying to do. Because if you're focused on that, then I think it makes it easier on those hard days to push it all aside and see that there is a greater purpose as well. But, you know, that's something that I learned far too late in my career, I think. One of the interviews I was doing was with current minister, Susan Lay, and she was saying how all of the criticism about her appearance, she just kind of laughed it off because she remembered how hard she'd worked up against the odds to become a pilot and that, you know, that was an achievement. She'd gone against the odds, she'd backed herself and she could do it. And so when people criticised her over little things, she thought back to that. And I think I probably took too long to work out where it was that I got my confidence from. And in the end, for me, I think it was actually once I was a mum, I didn't have time to dwell on people's negative feedback so much. You just don't have time for the rubbish when you're a working mum juggling travel and different priorities and trying to keep a human being alive. That helped me a lot. You mentioned Susan Lay, but you spoke to a huge number of women politicians, current and former, for the book, including Julia Gillard, Julie Bishop, Linda Burney, Penny Wong, Sarah Hanson-Young and Pauline Hanson. Now, not all of those women share your personal political views. Before we get to some of their stories, can you tell us how you approached them? Like, how do you go up to people who've been your political rivals for over a decade and be like, hello, can we do it with you? It was just kind of cold calling mainly. I think I had an email title that said, I come in peace, because I was trying to reassure people (laughs) from different political backgrounds that, you know, I, I wasn't about to get into a debate about their policy views on them. But I was trying to appeal to the fact that I think that, you know, almost every one of them has a genuine belief that they want to make it better for women, not just in politics, but broadly. So I kind of played to that and said, let's just focus on what needs to change and what your experiences were. But yeah, I did find it pretty challenging on some of those interviews not to get into debates and to learn that, you know, my background is as a politician, as a member of parliament, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm interviewing people and they're putting forward views and I want to engage in a discussion about that but instead I'm just kind of I was there to hear their views not to share mine with them so that was a new thing for me which I was better at in some interviews than others. (laughs) (laughs) I love that email title I come in peace. Kate can you tell me about some of the stories that you heard from the members of parliament and former members of parliament you spoke to you had experienced a lot of sexism yourself during your time in parliament but was there a story or an incident that was shared with you that shocked you 
I think I was really surprised when I spoke to Sarah Hansen-Young about the background to the David Linehelm, now known as the slut-shaming court case and parliamentary debate. I was really surprised because I was a Member of Parliament just a few metres away from the Senate chamber in the House of Reps chamber at the time. But I had no idea of the levels of abuse Sarah had been dealing with, not just for weeks, but for months leading up to it. And I couldn't believe that she was at a point where she didn't want to ask questions in question time because she didn't want to stand up and have these men on the other side or shout names at her of men she was allegedly sleeping with or things that she'd allegedly done with other people. And it got to the point where she didn't want to go to question time anymore and was actually leaving early or not turning up at all. And I didn't know any of that background. And so sitting down talking to her, you know, she had tears in her eyes. It was clear how how bad that had been and how much it had affected her. And I just, it struck me that you can be doing the same job, working in the same building, think that we're dealing with the same forces and still have absolutely no idea what it is that other individual women are dealing with at the time. That became really obvious talking to her. I think some of the discussions, particularly around motherhood, like Natasha Stottespoia telling me about she had a four-month-old baby who was exclusively breastfed and she'd sent him home but the parliament was sitting late, the Senate was sitting late and she was looking at her watch, realised that he was almost due for his midnight feed, wasn't given leave to go and feed her baby, tried to get the baby brought to her so she could feed him, was denied use of a com car to do that because it's outside of entitlement. So, you know, I think any working mother knows that when your job and your needs of your baby just don't line up and you feel, you know, you feel like you're letting one or both of them down and you're feeling trapped. And I felt such empathy for Natasha when she was telling that story because I just cannot... I cannot imagine knowing that my baby was asleep in his bed, you know, a kilometre away and I couldn't get to him when he needed him. And so, yeah, I guess it was just hearing, I guess, people's private stories of what was happening behind the scenes when we were all sitting alongside each other or opposite each other in the parliament was really eye-opening to me. I think it's such a service that you have done collecting the stories of, of these women, these parliamentarians, you know, these leaders of Australia at various points into one book and kind of putting that on the record in the public debate. Kate, a little while ago, you talked about purpose. Obviously, writing a book, you had a clear purpose. What purpose do you see for yourself now? Like, what is your goal, having put this onto the record and contributed to the debate in Australia in this very solid form? What will you do next? (laughs) Oh, well, that is the million dollar question. I don't know. Maybe if your listeners could send suggestions, that would help (laughs) because now the book is done. The book is out. My eldest has just started school a couple of months ago. I am rapidly running out of excuses not to get a real job again. So um, now the big question is, what is that and what does it look like? And I don't know the answer to that just yet. But yeah, as I said, happy to take suggestions. Kate, thank you so much for joining us on Anonymous Was a Woman and congratulations again on your first book. I'm saying first, (laughs) expecting more. Yeah, well, don't hold your breath, but thank you so much for having me. (laughs) 
you so much for being with us on Anonymous Was a Woman. You can purchase your copy of Sex, Lies and Question Time wherever you buy the very best books. We'd like to thank Kate Ellis for her time and generosity. We'd like to thank Bad Producer Productions and Future Women for making Anonymous Was a Woman possible. And most particularly, we want to thank Hachette Publishing, who keep coming to the party to support this podcast because they too share a passion for women and books. If you loved today's episode, we would love it if you would follow us on all of the best social media platforms and also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That helps other people to find Anonymous Was a Woman. Thank you. Thank you.